Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. I am very excited to announce a new partnership that this podcast now has with Merck Research. Check out the research, MerckResearch.com, that's M-E-R-K. I personally read their reports on a regular basis and can say that I get a lot of value out of them. Merck Research is different from other research providers, which usually just cherry pick all positive or negative charts and then fall into the trap of confirmation bias. Merck Research has a different approach, which is consistently going through a set of relevant data and putting them through a consistent set of frameworks. They then summarize their findings in a checklist and a concise written summary. The monthly economic market data reviews is really the bare minimum of research and analysis that any serious investor should be doing. It's all compiled in one place and easy to interpret chart books with written analysis, like I said. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer and get three free months to Merck Research. This is a three-month free trial. Just head over to MerckResearch.com slash contrarian. That's M-E-R-K research.com slash contrarian. Alternately, just go to MerckResearch.com, check out for a monthly membership, and enter the code contrarian at checkout to get a limited three free month trial. Now on to today's podcast. Cody Sanchez of Entourage Effect Capital, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. I wanted to have you on the show because you are, by your own admission, contrarian. You have this uh, Substack account, contrarianthinking.substack.com, and your views here, especially as they uh, involve public equity markets, are particularly contrarian because, as we know, stock markets have been rallying for, I don't know, what is it now, nine months, eight months, and uh, they set a new high in the Dow or above 30,000 as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, December, December 8th, 2020. But you have more of a cautious or, dare I even say, bearish view, and indeed, you think that this the pandemic hasn't even really been fully priced in or hasn't taken its full effect in markets. Is that, is that accurate? And can you tell us more about it? Yes. Um, well, you know, I think the music always has to end at some point, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. And we humans like to believe that the trend continues to stay our friend much long past its expiration date. And so I, I think that's where we're at with this pandemic and the market today. I mean, I understand why it hasn't been priced into the market. But if you were to pull back the curtain, what's really driving the stock market um, are the largest companies in uh, the U.S. and, and by and large, the, the tech giants, as the big continue to get bigger, um, and the small, especially on the private side, sort of wither and die. Um, and so, 
if we think that you know, 47 million Americans are employed by small businesses and 60% of the businesses listed on Yelp that closed temporarily have now closed permanently, there is this big segment of the market that just hasn't, in my opinion, been priced in yet. And, and it hasn't because we have a massive amount of stimulus kind of been echoing all around. And we have a lot of the big buyers who, you know, have the ability to work remote, who have the ability to leverage technology, continuing to earn and spend. Um, but I don't believe that the average American has had this priced in yet. And I think, uh, you know, it all depends on what the government does, and they can continue a rally for a long time if they continue to spend. Um, but I, I do think at some point the music has to come to an end, and we have to have a reckoning for what we've done to our economy and the fact that typically small businesses do drive that. Yeah. Although, to your point, the – the small, the uh, Russell small caps have now just recently uh, started to rally. They were left out the first early stages of this, but they've recently done a little bit better. But but you still think, and I guess you're speaking more to like smaller private companies, right? That are that are also some major employers in America. Yes, I do think so. I mean, you're you're seeing it's fascinating. So I've been I have been traveling around the the country. We run a cannabis investment fund and then a small be- small business fund. Um, so I have kind of two unique perspectives into this, perhaps, um, which is that, you know, on the small business side, we are hands-on with small business owners all over the country. And so, um, you know, I'm talking to them every day as their businesses are going under. And, and you know, in this, oper- in this market, that, that's an opportunity for investors. We get to come in and, and buy at lower valuations than we have before. And there's trillions of dollars in cash on the sidelines waiting to do this. Um, but, you know, to your point, I think at this point we're seeing small business catch up with the general market overall. And we're seeing some correlation there. Um, I'm not sure that the fundamentals, especially on the small business side, actually support that. Um, and, you know, we're just starting to see some of the jobs numbers come out. You know, this is certainly we have had a huge change from the, you know, 33 million Americans that were out of work um, there for a moment. And we've had some of that come back down. But now we're starting to see things start to slow down. So the mm. decrease in jobless claims has slowed down. And mm. we've also seen sort of, you know, sales across the board start to slow down. And we've seen I like to look at micro trends as well. So the, my old firm, First Trust, has a great blog at fqportfolios.com. I yeah, believe. I like it. Yeah. yeah. And they track macro trends like movie ticket sales and airplane terminal pass-throughs. And you can see very clearly it seems to be this micro-leading indicator to the broad uh, econo- economy. And so those things mm-hmm. make me nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I, I believe movie sales have been about zero for pandemic reasons. So maybe... But yeah, but what um, <laughs> you would be surprised they were up. I mean, uh, percentages are always funny, but they were up hugely over the summer again. And then, of course, cratered as we're starting to see, um, yeah. you know, states shut down. Yeah. You know, I saw an interesting statistic somewhere that said that retail in-store retail is down only 14 percent or 16 percent year over year. Uh, I think it was for, for a recent month, which is astonishing. You would expect it to be a lot lower no? Yeah, I'd have to see how they pull, you know, that's the beautiful yeah. thing about numbers is um, right. the devil's always in the details. I would have yeah. to see how they pulled that. It would surprise me. Um, but perhaps if, if they were including, yeah, I, I don't know how you could pull that and only have it down 14%, yeah. except, you know, we, we have had huge stimulus checks be handed right. out uh, that could be trickling down into that. I'm not sure. I guess, yeah. Although people have spent those online mostly. Anyway, 
But, but is there anything that the governments can do here, either at a federal level or at more on a state level, to help out these small businesses? Because at the federal level, I mean, yeah, the, the stimulus, the second round is still coming, hopefully, probably. And the Fed has done everything it's, it has, basically. It, it could have done, basically, at this point, and, and has basically made noise that they are not going to raise rates at any point in the foreseeable future. So is there anything else that could be done to help small businesses, do you think? Well, I mean, this is probably pretty obvious, but, um, you know, continuing to shut down small businesses um, and to have as much uncertainty as we do um, is is the single biggest driver for these companies going under. Mm. So, you know, it's, I think it's quasi criminal the way that we are proceeding with shutdowns and the mm-hmm. government's decision that they get to decide who is essential and who is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is where we get very opinionated, and you know, right. no one really cares about Cody's opinion on this. But I think the numbers uh-huh. really show <laughs> that mm-hmm. um, you know that that shutting down these small businesses has a lasting and permanent effect. And what mm-hmm. we're doing is really the greatest transference of wealth in my opinion, that we've ever seen from sort of mom and pop small businesses Mm -hmm. to the giant corporations in the U.S. And politicians um, cannot be ignorant of this Mm -hmm. fact. And so that part, I think, it's not that you should give more stimulus. It's that you have to allow the markets to open in ways that are controlled and thoughtful of the pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, at what point do you think the market will finally get wise to this, and will it show up in the in the data ever? Um, you did cite some some data points earlier, but what else are you looking for, and what else do you think that investors are looking for to kind of see that this narrative is taking hold that maybe the recovery is not as widespread as as popularly believed? Well, you know, I, I think if we're talking from a small business perspective, what I continue to watch are, are the trends from um, centers like Yelp that get an immediate reaction from small businesses. So I do like to look at the monthly. Yelp now is starting to release data on a monthly basis that shows the number of small businesses that have closed permanently. I also think it's interesting to go to sites like Biz Buy Sell, which um, is a broker for small businesses, and on this mm-hmm. site, you can actually see there the number of M&A transactions, the average valuation, how many businesses have gone under during this time period. Um, the data on small businesses is always hard to get, right. uh, much harder than public markets, right? Um, and so I'm interested in data sources that have mm-hmm. incentive alignment to get real data, like somebody mm-hmm. who's trying to sell a business or Yelp. Mm-hmm. So I think those two sources are interesting. Um, and then the SBA actually comes out with some pretty useful data uh, on small businesses, in particular, um, you know, loan defaults on SBA mm. loans, which are typically at very low single digits. It's one of the, um, surprisingly, very few people default on their SBA loans. Um, mm. And so I'm interested to see if those numbers start to climb up. They have not thus far. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Do you think in um – well, there's a couple of questions I have here, actually. First of all, what is what is an investor to do in light of this? Um, yeah, what, what, where does, uh, what should an investor do? Where does one put one's money? Yeah, well, um, a couple of things. Here's, and I think it's always better to ask, you know, or for me to tell people uh, where I put my money as opposed mm-hmm. to give opinions. So you can actually see with my money is where my mouth is. Um, so where I'm putting money today. Well, first of all, we have hundreds of millions of dollars 
uh, in the cannabis industry. And that's because I do see it, and it is proving out to be in some way a recession-resistant asset class. Now, public hmm. markets I'm thoughtful and cautious on. They've had a bit of a resurgence, um, and, you know, valuations are, are returning to it. Maybe not, you know, frothy levels, but they're not – across the board cheap. On the private side, there's still a lot of pain to be found. So I like things that are recession-resistant asset classes. Cannabis is interesting to me because you pair the ability to have some resistance with double-digit sales year over year. Um, And that is a very interesting uh, mix. Usually those two things do not meet. Mm. And so that would be one area. The second is I really do believe that there is, if you have the opportunity and the ability to buy private or to invest in private companies, especially those companies which have already been listed essential services, um, mm-hmm. they're selling at incredible discounts because of what's mm-hmm. happening right now in the world. And I think that will continue as, you know, the, these, this generation, which is the baby boomer generation, is right at and past retirement age in the midst of a pandemic, in the mix of these government shutdowns and you know they've run a business for 10 to 20 years Mm -hmm. so those Mm -hmm. two areas to me are hands down the most interesting Um, I have never felt intelligent enough to determine you know to beat all of the minds on Wall Street who are continuously going back and forth on the casino that is determining one stock's valuation over another and so I don't really believe in that and but if I had to put some money in the market, I don't see why, unless there's a massive regulatory change, that the big tech players don't continue to get bigger. Okay. Uh, as far as access, assessing, I'm sorry, accessing small uh, companies. I mean, how would one do that as a retail investor? There doesn't seem to be any way, is there? You know, there's a couple different ways to do it. There are funds out there in the space. Okay. Um, okay. So, you know, there are plenty of funds that go out and invest in small businesses. Um, there are funds that invest in, like, laundromats only. So, of course, uh-huh. Google search for you in a self-directed IRA will show you options for you to invest in these types of asset classes if you want to do it through a diversified fund structure. If you want to invest instead of in a fund directly, um, then there's lots of optionality for you to get today some of the lowest loans out there from places uh-huh. like the SBA. And so, huh. you know, if, if I was a W-2 employee, right now I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. And, oh, you're right uh, Okay. Oh, right really? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, so we're, we're I think, going to buy a place out here. It's absolutely booming, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. I was just in yeah, Miami. Just That's booming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild. But we're coming from West, so we'll kind of split some time between the two. But um, what's fascinating to me is how many W-2 employees here, we were talking to a few yesterday, you know, they're, they're worried that they're going to they're gonna be out of a job again, right? right? These are people that have non-essential services jobs. So if I was them, I would be looking to replace my W-2 income with different optionality from small businesses. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is where real wealth get separated from, quote, unquote, us normal people to, you know, the people who rule the world. And the real key to wealth, in my opinion, is ownership, uh, whether Mm -hmm. that's through stakeholder equity, you know, having investments in stock in a company or through owning a company outright. And there's Mm -hmm. no reason why we can't have more humans own these small businesses instead of, you know, micro PE firms and PE firms that are coming in now that are moving down from lower middle market to 
invest in these companies, which means, you know, companies that do 10 million bucks and below. So, you know, mm-hmm. I was sitting here last night on this patio in a coffee shop in Casablanca, a friend of ours own in, in Wilmington. And we were here with a guy who has done roofing um, for most of his career. He's about 35 years old. And we were talking to him about the same thing. You do this as a business. Why can't you figure out how to actually own some part of the business that you work in? And if you go to the SBA, there's lots of resources about how to do these kind of talk about contrarian. This is not normal. Most people aren't going to do it because it is some work. But I Mm. do think it's smart to get some ownership and diversification. Interesting. Interesting. I imagine the investment minimum would be like the buy-in. It would be quite a bit higher than just opening up a retail broker account, right? Um, well, it's, it's a totally different deal, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I would think about it less as a pure investment than as starting a mm-hmm. business. So, okay. you know, the average entrepreneur makes, you know, $47,000 a year, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. We glamorize it, but uh, it's, it's actually not that lucrative. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing that I try to push people to do is to think more about if you're going to go and start up a business or you, you know, want to go do a side hustle, why don't you instead go and look at where are some small profitable businesses that are in your niche and area and use an SBA loan or seller financing to actually essentially buy your own cash flow and job. Hmm. And uh, in my opinion, this will be the house flipping and hmm. this will be the commoditization of real estate in the future as people will learn how to do this on, on small businesses. Interesting, interesting. You know that I this podcast is independently owned and has a subscription option where you can support it. I don't have one of these uh, Patreon things. Um, it <laughs> seems a little bit like begging, but you can become a premium subscriber by going to contrarian.supercast.tech and signing up. It's only 9 bucks a month or 99 bucks a year. So thank you for that lead-in, Cody. Um, I love and- it. Also, do you have any idea here, going back to the big picture, what the percentage is of employees that that work for small businesses versus ones that work for, like, bulge bracket, like, publicly traded companies, say? Do you have any idea where, where that breaks out well, there's in the U.S.? Yeah, there's 47 million Americans, as done by the last um, sort of census on small businesses in 2019, that work for small businesses. 47 so that million. Might, okay. 47 million. So you know, 47 million out of what's our population now, 325, 350. Um, And I have to assume that that doesn't include all of the people that have a, you know, W-2 with a larger, let's say, company, but also side hustle on the side or, Uh you know, drive for Uber or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that, that is a huge segment of the population, no doubt about it. Yeah, although I I wonder, though, if if we're looking at, like, some big wave of unemployment that's going to hit here, um, you know what? That's what that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, and if, if these small businesses are going to be continuously be hit by this COVID crisis, you know, I'm trying just trying to see how big the hit will be to the overall economy. You know, so that's yeah. that for my question. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. I mean, the second yeah. and third order effects, I think, are what you got to watch out for, right? Mm-hmm. So, if we have 47 million businesses that, uh, or 47 million people that work for small businesses, well, how many of those businesses are providers? or provide mm. services for larger businesses. Yeah. And right, so, exactly. so it's, you know, it's a delicate spider's web. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Cody Sanchez, uh, thank you so much for joining me here. I want to take a quick break and then come back and ask you a little bit more about yourself and your firm and your background and, and your investing style, which you've already touched on. But let us first take a short break. If you are a premium subscriber and you are listening to this, don't touch the dial because there will be no break. <laughs> 
If you want to become a premium subscriber, go to contrarian.supercast.tech and sign up. You are listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and other platforms where podcasts are found. Subscribe and supply an honest rating. We are on social media. Search for Contrarian Investor Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on LinkedIn as well. Go to linkedin.com forward slash contrarian podcast. We want to hear from our listeners. Email your thoughts to feedback at contrarianpod.com. A repository of all podcast episodes and materials is available on our website, contrarianpod.com. Now, back to the program. Here's Mr. Baker. I need to tell you about Merck Research. You can check out their research, merckresearch.com, M-E-R-K. They are different from other research providers, which usually just cherry pick positive or negative charts and then fall into the trap of confirmation bias. Merck Research has a much more intellectually consistent approach. They go through a set of relevant data and put it through a consistent set of frameworks, and then they summarize it in a checklist with a concise written summary. I personally find it very valuable and read it regularly. And you can now take advantage of a three-month free trial by heading over to MerckResearch.com slash contrarian. That's Merck spelled M-E-R-K, MerckResearch.com. And check out with the monthly membership package and enter the code contrarian at checkout to take advantage of this offer. Cody Sanchez, Entourage Effect Capital. This is the segment of the show where we ask our guests a little bit more about themselves and about their background and how they came to investing in the first place and how they now find themselves at the current stage of their career. So why don't you take us back a little bit and tell us how you got your start and and how you uh, ended up here. Sure. So I actually started out uh, in nothing to do with finance. I was a journalist before. Oh, wow. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was I know, too, right? Yeah, go on. Were yeah. you really? What, what were course, you a journalist yeah. in? Finance, of course. Investing, covering hedge funds. Ah, yeah. got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So I wasn't even that illustrious. I was um, I was a conflict journalist along the U.S.-Mexico border. Mm. Um, so we wrote about, you know, drug trafficking and human smuggling and you know, I had some on the ground, um, you know, opportunities to cross the border illegally and see what was happening um, to those who were separated by uh, country lines. And so, um, so, so I did that for, for some time, um, but quickly realized, I'm not sure how you felt as well being a journalist, but quickly realized that it wasn't enough for me to be able to tell somebody's story. I wanted to mm. affect the outcome. Mm. And um, and I didn't like how sensational it felt, and that was mm. you know that was in like 2006 or something, yeah. and now I I uh, could not imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so anyway, so I climbed um, from journalism to uh, to finance largely because I wanted to understand what was this language of power that to me seemed to be linked to money. You know, I, my last name is Sanchez. A lot of people that I was working with in Latin America, their last names were Sanchez too. But the things that happened to them would never happen to me, largely mm. because of my socioeconomics, right? Um, mm. So I wanted to understand that. I didn't know anything about money. And so um, that took me to Vanguard, where I did their accelerated development program and kind of looked through a couple different aspects of the business. Then I went to Goldman Sachs and um, did the analyst program there. Great timing in 2008, so that was a bit of a mess. Um, 
was there for a few years during the financial crisis, fascinating, and then left to State Street uh, until finally I went to First Trust where I started building their international business. That's mm-hmm. sort of a joint venture. Sold out of that and then, you know, started investing in a slew of different businesses, tried to sort of create my own little micro PE fund with my own money. Um, thought that was super interesting and then got into cannabis, mm-hmm. bought into this cannabis private equity fund and um, now continue to do that along with unconventional acquisitions, which is a, a micro PE fund. And we talk about how to buy small businesses. Interesting. Well, that's really interesting. You know, Cody, that I have three rules for this podcast. And the first one is not to talk about politics, which I was barely able to, that was a minefield, as you can imagine, the last couple of months. And I was able to get oh, through that. Sure. The, the second one is, is not to talk about crypto, which I have so far managed to stay away from. And then, the third one is not to talk about cannabis investing, but uh, you have an interesting enough view here, and and obviously you, your background is not just a cannabis. You're not one of these um, typical people that you would find maybe on Instagram or such pushing a cannabis business, but there are some publicly traded cannabis companies, um, mostly in Canada, but I believe they're, they're also traded on U.S. exchanges. Do you have any view on them as, as an investment kind of uh, option? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I don't blame you. Uh, you know, any any time you have an emergent industry, you you know there are some bad actors in it. There's usually a lot of hype around the segment, with a, a lot of retail investors losing most of their money early on because the institutional investors are disciplined and know to wait for valuations and how to look at fundamentals. And so cannabis was the exact same thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. we started investing in cannabis. I think I made my first investment in 2013. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we did quite well for a few years on a a number of investments that are more, you know, household names-ish today and Mm -hmm. and have, you know, are now worth a couple billion or a billion dollars. But um, for a while there, the market was incredibly frothy. And I've always been worried about the public markets in in cannabis. And let me tell you why. One, you're exactly right. You cannot list on the U.S. exchange if you're plant touching, meaning that you are not an ancillary service, a pick and shovel to the industry, right? So if you actually grow the plant, sell the plant, create something with the plant, you cannot list on a public exchange in the U.S. So all of them go on the TSX, which is the Canadian Stock Exchange, the Toronto Stock Exchange, um, and the, the problem with that is multifold. One, you have very little liquidity. Um, you know, volume's not very good on these exchanges. There's a, a very archaic and complex process for actually even purchasing or selling the stock on these exchanges. Um, and the market's very shallow. You know, there's probably mm-hmm. 30 relatively traded companies that are in. Um, but that being said, you know, people have done quite well in the space if you invested early and, um, you know, didn't buy at sort of the high, which was the middle of last year, um, right. and, you know, and perhaps didn't sell off during some of the sell-off, which was over the last, you know, eight months. And so, um, you know, and there are a few companies that are listed on the U.S. exchange, such as the NASDAQ, but those are non-plant-touching companies, companies like mm-hmm. Akerna, which is a technology solution, mm-hmm. um, or Kushco, which is a packaging um, and, um, you know, CPG wrapper uh, company. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how that industry shakes out publicly. Okay, but you're not particularly bullish right now as far as investing in, in that space. We have public companies. Yeah, I'm very selective. There are mm-hmm. a handful of companies 
that we track closely that I like a lot. Um, you know, we have here's a you know very much a disclaimer. We have exposure right now to TerraSend, which is one of the largest public stock markets out there. I mean, one of the largest public cannabis companies out there. I think What's they're the incredible ticker? ops. Um, the, oh, that's a good question. T E R R, I think. But it's, remember, they're all a little funky because mm-hmm. they're on the Canadian stock exchange. Oh, it's Canadian one. Okay. Yeah, um, but if you Google TerraSend, which is T E R R A S C E N D. Um, and Jason Wild, that company is very well uh, operated, in my opinion. He comes from mm-hmm. biotech, um, made a billion dollars in his other pharmaceutical venture, so sophisticated management team. Um, then we were early investors in GTI. That ticker is pretty straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. That's Green Thumb Industries. Um, they've done very well. Pureleaf, we also have a big exposure sure. to, um, and they have also actually done done quite well. I don't I don't know that management team as closely as I do the management team at GTI and TerraSend. Um, and then we actually have control of a company, um, uh, or one of my partners sits on the board of a company called Harborside, um, which is sort of one of the original cannabis companies, and that's a publicly traded company as well. And so, okay. um, and and we're very optimistic about that company also. So I do okay. think there's some gems in there. Mm-hmm. But what makes me nervous always is when people are short-term speculators yeah. on an industry. So mm. if you're gonna invest in cannabis, your belief should be that cannabis is going to grow into the fifty billion dollar market that is the illegal market in the U.S. right now. And you should be, in my opinion, you know, with your whatever your risk tolerance is, investing sort of with an eye towards the future growth of the industry. If you're trying to do a buy, you know, a get-rich-quick scheme, and you just like you were talking about in crypto and trying to, like, get in and get out at the right speculative prices, that never ends well. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do worry about that for retail investors. Yeah. Are, are there – there must be some other legal ramifications in, in the U.S. for investing in this. Can Americans just – I guess you can buy the stocks in Canada, right? Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that part, you can buy the stocks in Canada. There's a slew of trading platforms that allow you to invest in Canadian or in cannabis stocks sure. as well. Sure, yeah. um, you know, the big firms such as J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, whatever, they still do not allow tra- cannabis stock trading um, mm-hmm. by and large. However, interestingly enough, Bank of America has a cannabis uh, analyst. Uh, yeah. Merrill Lynch, yeah, Merrill Lynch obviously uh, does as well. Morgan Stanley does. Um the first one, too, was Piper Jaffrey. Um, so you'd be surprised how many of these big companies cover the stocks. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, this industry, in my opinion, you won't be able to put the cat back in the bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, but there is still a legal issue. Like, federally, it's still illegal in the U.S. Um, That's right. Do you think that might change maybe in the Biden administration? Have you heard you anything know, about that? Yeah, so Biden is pretty clear about decriminalization. Um, which would mean, you know, making sure that there's not a criminality while people are profiting quite largely on the industry. The World Health Organization just descheduled cannabis away from a Schedule One drug this last week. Mexico just legalized. Um, they still have to implement legalization, but they just legalized. And five new states came on board uh, in the U.S., giving access now to about one in every three Americans lives in a state that has access to cannabis. Um, so the, what we, there's two ways legalization can happen. One legalization can happen if the, um, obviously if the administration, uh, in tandem with 
either, you know, the, the um, members of Congress decide that they want to um, legalize cannabis. Now, I don't think that's going to be the most likely scenario, given the Republicans still control the Senate. Um, well, we'll see, I guess, with Georgia, but um, yeah, right. by and large, that's probably the, the, the most likely scenario. Um, I think the most likely is probably that we have the States Act happen, which means that as two-thirds of the states allow for legalization, that triggers legalization across the country. So it's a two-thirds. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Uh Mm -hmm. So how many are are legal now? How many of the 50 states allow it? So there are 33 states um, that have an allowance overall for cannabis. Uh-huh. Uh, th- that includes medicinal, and there's 16 right. states that have a recreational allowance. I see. But you need the recreational to get to two-thirds, right? That'd be right. Yep. Yeah, so which is what's two-thirds of 50? I don't even know. 33 sounds about right there, right? Yeah, I think, you know, 66, uh, yeah, I think yeah. it is right. 33 is pretty much right there. I, I think that if, sounds right. If 66 is divided by 100, yeah. So if you get to third, so now you have 16. So you still need those numbers, that number to double plus one. Yes, um, we do. Uh, and okay. I think you'll probably get four or five more states on the docket next year. I mean, what has right. accelerated all of this is that cannabis is now an essential service, right? Um, so, uh, yeah. Wow. So cannabis across all states in which it's been legalized was deemed essential during the pandemic. Huh. Um, so, so gas stations, grocery stores, hospitals, and weed stores, right? Um, and bars. Yeah. Uh, well, bars were not. Bars were not deemed okay. an essential service. Nor liquor were liquor stores. Were. Liquor stores. Nor were liquor stores. Oh, really? What I was, they weren't. No, grocery stores. Yes, and grocery uh-huh. stores can sell liquor. Um, right, right. But bars and liquor stores were shut down. Now, and and then I think that lends itself to the fact that a lot of people do use cannabis and cannabis mm. derivatives as medicine. So. Right. Um, so from that aspect, you you know, it would have been problematic for, you know, California, for instance, which has more vets with PTSD than any other state in the nation, to all of a sudden shut down access to cannabis, and then these veterans sure, sure, sure. accelerate their suicide rates, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, so, anyway, so that part, I think, could be interesting. But the truth is, as an investor, having a few more years of private um, access to these investments that, that, you know, the second that legalization happens, let me tell you, we talk with all of the big PE shops. We're talking with the large hedge funds out there. They, they will start investing in cannabis the second that it legalizes. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. going to mean billions and billions of dollars in. And then my unfair advantage de minimizes. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy with having a little bit longer to build a moat around our business before legalization happens mm-hmm. fully. Yeah, yeah. You would think legalization, if you tax it, uh, could be a real windfall for the government, especially as you're going into more debt with these stimulus measures. But I guess that's another uh, topic yeah, for another day. Yeah, I, I agree. Very cool. Cody Sanchez, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast. Uh, in closing, maybe um, can you tell us and our listeners where to find out more about you? I know you're active on Twitter, which is where I found you. And you have this Substack Contrarian Thinking. Substack.com. And what's your Twitter and other other places to find you? Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm liking Twitter a lot lately. I thought it was a, a place just for angry trolls for a while, but it turns out there is it, some not just. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So I'm, I found massive value on there. Um, so my Twitter is Cody C O D I E underscore Sanchez on Twitter, 
And then, yes, I send out a weekly free blog post that sort of in-depth dives into it's so funny that your podcast labeled contrarian too. So now I'm going to sound duplicative, but contrarian ways to sort of invest, build your wealth, grow your business. Um, and hopefully there's a little snark in there to entertain uh, as well. Cool. I like that. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cody, for coming on. And thank you all for listening. And we look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.